One of the amazing privileges of living in faith is you get to enjoy every victory twice. Before the victory ever manifests, by faith, you already see it. You already envision it. You already declare it. But then when it manifests, you get to enjoy it the second time. So living by faith, you get to enjoy every victory twice. Praise God. It is so, so good to be back at the Nortonsville Church of God. This uh, is my home away from home. If you don't tell the other people what I said, this is just my home away from home. Thank you, Pastor uh, Greg and Sister Donna. It is such a joy to be with you and with your family. And to be back at the Nortonsville Church, I have been looking forward to our time together. I was uh, with my wife on yesterday. We were at a funeral down in southwest Virginia. And uh, she remembers coming here with me, you know, some years ago in the past. And I said, they're usually going to have this dinner uh, after I preach. And I said, it's like homecoming and Thanksgiving and Christmas and a birthday celebration. It's, I said, it's done like only the Nortonsville people can do it. And so I am looking so, so very forward to that. And when my wife was sitting beside of me there in the car, I, I nudged her with my elbow. And she looked at me and I said, I love you. She smiled and said, I know. I says, no, you think you know. I said, I love you more than that. I love you more than you, you think I do. And I think the Lord wants me to tell somebody here today, if I said to you, the Lord loves you. Yeah, I know, I know, God loves me. No, he loves you more than that. He loves you more than you can comprehend. And this is a wonderful day. This is a wonderful opportunity. It's not only the beginning of a a new day, it's the beginning of a new week. And perhaps last week was a struggle for you. Maybe last week was a challenge to you. Well, great news. This is a new day. This is a new week. It's a new beginning. And I'm thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to be with God's people. There's a dynamic that takes place when we come together. If one of us can put 1,000 to flight, two of us can put 10,000 to flight. And I just feel like a better person having been with you and been in the presence of the Lord. I'm excited to share the message this morning. Looking forward to the service tonight and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And just as I have done in the past, I have a recorder in my pocket. I'll record the messages and make them available, not only on CD. We've been doing that for years, but we're also making them available now on a thumb drive or flash drive, USB, if that works better for you. Uh, some of the new cars don't even have CD players, and some of the new computers, you know, without CD players. So, we're, so we, ha- we can offer them in two different ways. But I'm very excited, pumped to, to preach the word of the Lord to you today. Stand with me, if you would, please, for the reading of God's word. We're going to display the scripture. It comes from the book of Amos, the Old Testament prophet, chapter 3, verse 12. A very interesting statement he makes here. He says, as the shepherd takes out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria. What a strange text. The next slide has the title that I want to use for this morning. I want to title the message, Still Worth Saving. Would you help me just smile at somebody beside you and say, you're still worth saving. You're still worth saving. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you. 
Bow your head for a moment of prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to minister the word of the Lord. I am not standing here in my own ability or strength, but I rely on the grace that you give that makes preaching effective. Use me in some way to advance your kingdom and glorify your name. I ask in Jesus' name. And the church says, Amen. What an interesting text where the prophet Amos says, as a shepherd takes out of the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, that's the way God's going to save you. What's he talking about? In addition to being a prophet, Amos was also a shepherd and a farmer, and sometimes he would use thoughts and images and illustrations from his shepherding and farming life and include them in his prophesying and preaching. And that's what he does here. He's trying to explain to the people of God that even though a captivity was coming, that it was God's intent and purpose to save them from that captivity. And he compared it to a shepherd rescuing a lamb from a hungry lion. But what I find interesting is that all that was rescued was two legs out of four legs and just a little piece of an ear. I mean, you got to get this image in your mind. Just suppose. A lion comes into the fold, takes one of the lambs, runs away with it, and someone informs the shepherd the lion has stolen one of the lambs. Well, now, out of his love and his compassion, his value for that lamb, he chases after, and when he finds the lion, now by this time the lion has consumed most of the animal. There's only a little bit left. But the shepherd takes the two legs, and the scripture says, out of the mouth of the lion. So there's a tug of war. The lion is eating the lamb, but the shepherd grabs two legs and he yanks it out of the mouth of the lion and picks up a little piece of an ear. When he comes back home, I wonder if someone said, did you save the lamb? He says, well, I, I saved this, this much. I got, I got a leg here, and I got a leg here, and I got a little piece of an ear right there. I saved what was left. I saved what remains. If it had been me and I had seen that the lion had eaten most of it, I would would have went home empty. I would have went home empty and said it was too late. There was nothing left to save. But no, the shepherd thought so much of that lamb that he saved what was left. I believe that conveys the heart of God. You say, I don't have much to offer God. I've spent most of my life in sin. I've spent most of my life in the things of the world in my own self-interest. I don't have anything to offer God. No worries. He will save what remains of your life. He loves you so much. He knows you are still worth saving. I want to use another illustration. Take it to the next slide. What we're going to see now are some pictures of a safari in Africa. And the point that I want to would point out right here, these are Cape buffalo that are on their way to the watering hole in the morning. You can only see, um, what, maybe six of them here on this slide in this picture, but there are actually about a hundred in this herd. The one that is leading is known as the alpha male. But about three from the right, you'll see a little calf that is there, and the story really is about that little calf. He gets in, in trouble. Take it to the next slide, if you would, please. And I'm not sure you can tell from where you're seated, but over on the far right, down in the brown grass, is a small pride of lions that are hiding there. Over here on the left is that alpha male, Cape Buffalo, and behind him are about 100 in the herd. 
and they are unsuspecting. They don't even know that the lions are there. And the lions are waiting for the opportunity. And when the opportunity is right, they will spring into action, which is what happens next. Take it to the next slide, please. And you will see that the chase is on. And the lions get up from their hunches and they begin chasing after the buffalo and all of them begin to scatter. Now, the little calf I mentioned earlier is in the lower left-hand portion of the screen there. And you can tell he's running along a, a decline of the embankment, which was to his disadvantage. On the next slide now, you will notice that he plops in the water. He's in grave danger now because all the other herd keep on running away. And this little calf is left to himself there floundering in the water. And so the lions come over to the edge of the water and begin to drag him out of there. They want to eat him for lunch. But notice what happens on the next slide. The lions are up on the land pulling him, but down in the water is a crocodile. And the crocodile has the back end of the calf, and the lions have the front end of the calf. Now, this calf is really in trouble now. Not only has he been floundering in the water, the whole herd has left him. He's got lions pulling one way and crocodiles pulling the other. The crocodile actually loses his grip and goes back down in the water, and the lions pull this little calf up on the land and begin to surround him, of course, to have him for lunch. Take it to the next slide and notice what happens. The whole herd comes back. All 100 herd come back for rescue. Now, at this point in the story, that little calf is still surrounded by the lions. They want this little calf for themselves, but the whole herd has come back because they want the calf for themselves. Take it to the next slide now, and you will see over here on the far right that the alpha male takes one of those horns that he has, and he tosses one of those lions up in the air. If you watch the video on YouTube, he tosses that lion about 12 or 15 feet up in the air, those lions become afraid and they all start scattering. Take it to the next slide, please. And you will see that the lions now are the ones scattering. Where is the little calf in the picture now? He's over there in the middle of the herd. He's shaken. He's bleeding. He's been bitten several times. He's nervous. Uh, but they're, they're licking his wounds. They're, they're, they're bringing him back into, into his health. And he has been rescued. Why would these cattle do that because they thought he was still worth saving it's just like Amos who said a shepherd will rescue two legs and a piece of an ear and and the calf will be rescued by the herd because they know he is still worth saving I want you, you to hear me clear today God knows that you and your family your kids and grandkids are still worth saving we ought to clap our hands and celebrate the grace of God. We give praise unto the Lord for his goodness and for his mercy. We might not think we're worth saving, but in the mind of God, we're worth saving. Now, having said all of that as an introduction, I want to look at a couple of different people in the Bible that, you know, by my perspective, were not worth saving, but Jesus saved them anyway. So let's look at the first of those. Point number one, and this is the woman who was at the well, Jacob's well, in John chapter 4. In part of the story at verse 10, Jesus said to her, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and if you knew who I am, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. Now, probably you know this woman's story, but just so that we're all on the same page. We find this woman at the well at noontime, which is very strange. 
the people didn't generally go to the well at noon. They would go to the well early in the morning or later in the evening. The same philosophy I use for cutting the grass in the midsummer. My wife might say to me at noon on a Saturday in midsummer when it's 100 degrees, I thought you were going to cut the grass today. And I would say, not right now, it's 104 with the heat index. I'm going to wait till the sun goes down or I'll wait till it's early in the morning. The people would go to the well early in the morning when it was cool, late in the evening when it was cool, not at midday. Why did this woman go to the well at midday? Because she wanted to be alone. She didn't want to face all the other women that were down there. She had a reputation. This lady had been married five times, divorced five times, was living with a sixth man she wasn't even married to. She was tired of the jeers and the looks of all the other women. She didn't want to deal with that. So she just waited to the hot part of the day and went down to the well to be alone. Worst case scenario, somebody was at the well. Jesus was at the well. And he was there on purpose. And he says to this woman, may I have a drink of water, please? Now, I love the way that Jesus begins sharing with this woman. In contrast, some people today, I think, share their faith a little harshly. I mean, Jesus had other options. He could have grabbed her by the throat and shook her like a rag doll and say, if you don't stop fornicating and committing adultery, you're going to bust hell wide open. How many think that's not the best way to witness to somebody? But very smooth, he says, may I have a drink of water? She said, I'm shocked you're even asking me for a drink of water. You're Jewish, I'm Samaritan. We shouldn't be having this conversation. Jesus says, but if you really knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink of water. She says, the well is deep. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. He says, no, but the water that I would give you would be everlasting water and spring up within you like an artesian. She says, well, you know, I'd kind of like some of that water. He says, here's what you need to do first. Go call your husband. She did not want to talk about husbands. She'd had all the husbands she ever wanted. And she answered correctly when she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, that is right. You have had, but you've had five husbands and you're living with a man now that you're not married to. Time out. She said, wait a minute. How did you know all that? You must be a prophet. She says, well, since you're a prophet, answer this question. I've always wondered, should we be worshiping in Jerusalem or here at Samaria? And she says, I know that when the Messiah gets here, he'll explain all that. But I just want to know your opinion. And Jesus says, well, I am the Messiah. And it's neither Jerusalem nor Samaria, but the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. And when she realized that he was the Messiah, this is kind of interesting. It's almost funny. She runs back into the city, and here's what she says. Come see a man. Somebody was probably thinking, I don't want to see any man that you have seen. (laughs) No, this man is different. He's different than all the other five husbands, all the five exes. He's different than the, you know, you don't have five divorces without some domestic violence. You don't have five divorces without feeling like trash. Have five different husbands rejected her and said, I no longer want you in my life. A sixth man said, yeah, I want you to live with me, but (laughs) I'm not marrying you. This woman felt worthless. This woman had no value. And yet there's Jesus at the well who embraces her with his 
love and includes her in the family of God. And she says, no, this seventh man is different than every guy I've ever met. You need to see this guy. He is the Messiah. Here is a beautiful story of a woman who wasn't worth saving, but Jesus saw value in her. Now, just suppose I had a $100 bill in my hand. I wish I had a $100 bill in my hand, but I don't. But if I crushed that $100 bill into a small ball and spit on it and threw it in the floor and stomped on it, would anybody here still want that $100 bill if I was giving it away? (laughs) Yeah, you know why? Because you can wipe it off and you can press the wrinkles out and it's still worth $100. That's why. I don't know what you've been through and who lied on you and who spit on you and who stepped on you, but God still sees value in your life. And he knows how to wipe us clean and prepare us for his glory and for his kingdom. Can somebody say amen? One of my uncles ran from God all of his life. He was an alcoholic up until... Probably the last month of his life. He died in his mid-60s with emphysema. The doctor said, if you don't quit smoking, it's going to kill you. They put him on a breathing machine at the house of oxygen. And he'd take the oxygen mask off and smoke another cigarette and put the oxygen mask. They said, it's going to kill you. He said, you got to die of something anyway. He had about a week left to live. And a preacher went by the house and said, I just want to come by and Help you get ready for eternity. He said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in you. Get out of my house. I don't want any of your praying. About two or three days later, God spoke to that pastor and says, I know he rejected you, but go back a second time. And he went back a second time. And this time, he had a total different attitude. He apologized for the way he had mistreated him. He said, I... I've only got a few days to live, and I do need to get saved. Now, somebody would probably say, you ain't worth saving. You rejected God for over 60 years. You lived life your way. You think God's going to save you now with two or three days left to live? Why would God do that? Because he still sees value in you. He will save you. I don't recommend a deathbed conversion. You don't know when you're going to die. I just thought I would tell you how much God loves you more than you think he loves you and he still sees a value in you and you're still worth saving. And wherever sin abounds, the grace of God does much more abound. Can the church say amen? Let's look at a second example. This is a guy that was full of demons, a full of a legion of demons. And according to Mark 5 and 19, Jesus said to him after he was delivered, go home to your own people or your own family and tell them your story. I love that phrase. Tell them your story, what the master did and how he had compassion on you. Now, when we first see this guy, he was full of a legion of demons. A legion is a Roman military term that represents thousands of soldiers. So we believe he was filled with thousands of demons. Besides, when the demons came out of him, they filled thousands of swine. So obviously, this guy was filled with thousands of demons. You don't know anybody as devilish as this guy. You say, well, now wait a minute, you, you haven't met my husband or you haven't met my coworker. <laughs> no, they might be full of the devil, but they're not as full of the devil as this guy was. This guy was full of thousands of demons. And he was always 
and the cemeteries and the graveyards, cutting himself with sharp stones, crying out day and night. He had no purpose in his life whatsoever. And Jesus says, today we're going to cross the lake and we're going to go right over there. And he cast the demons out. And the next time we see this guy now, he's clothed. He's in his right mind. And he has a good idea. He says, Jesus, I want to follow you everywhere you go. I thought Jesus would have said, sure, I need 13 disciples instead of 12. Come on, let's go. But Jesus had a better idea. He said, I want you to stay right here. Go home to your own family. I want you to tell your story. Now, this guy had been converted for about 15 minutes and was probably the least qualified witness of all the disciples. And yet Jesus left him in charge of that whole region to be a witness. He'd never been to Lee University he didn't, he'd never been through the evangelism courses to learn how to share your faith. But he could do this. He could share his own story. He, he could say, I was full of the devil and had no purpose and lived in the tomb. But a man named Jesus. And here's what we notice. He went throughout that whole region, which was called Decapolis. There were 10 different cities. And this guy went from city to city to city to city, telling his story and how the Lord had compassion. Notice the difference. Early in his life, he had no purpose whatsoever. And now he is a man on a mission. He is a man with focus. I I have wondered often in my mind, and, and maybe I shared this here before, what do you think it was like when he went home for the first time and knocked on the door? And his Little kids looked out the window and says, Mom, it's Dad. She said, lock the door. (laughs) Don't let that rascal in the house. He almost choked me to death the last time he was in here. Mama, there's something different about Daddy today. What's different about? Mama, he's wearing clothes today. (laughs) Something different about Daddy today. Mama, he's standing out there with a dozen roses and a box of chocolates. Now, that's not in the Bible, obviously. When that woman opened that door and he dropped down on one knee and said, if you'll let me come back home, I'll treat you like the queen of the house. And I'll raise these kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Her chin dropped down to there and she said, what in the world happened to you? He must have said, I met a man named Jesus. Jesus makes a difference in your life. Jesus makes a difference in your family. Jesus filled this man with a sense of purpose. I shared with you that back in the 1990s and the revival, the Pensacola revival, I went with a group of 100 people that I had never met before. They were with the Assemblies of God in the Martinsville area, and I got on a bus of about 50 people, didn't know any of them. And we had testimony time on the way to Florida. It was about a 14-hour drive or so. And even the bus driver got in on it. She says, let me share you my testimony. Her name was Caroline. She said, a few years ago, I suspected my husband was cheating on me. So as any wife would do, she started snooping around looking for evidence. She said, eventually, I actually caught him with the other woman. She said, I never did drink a whole lot of alcohol, but when I realized that he had been unfaithful to the marriage covenant, she said, I started drinking like a fish. She said, I became suicidal. 
She lived in a trailer. She said she sat down at the table one day with a fifth of liquor and a loaded revolver. She said, I'm going to get drunk enough to shoot myself. Three different times she had the gun up to her head. Thank God she didn't pull the trigger. She said, over the next couple of days, she said, I just kept mulling this over in my mind. She said, I decided I'm not going to kill myself. She says, but I am going to kill my husband. (laughs) She told us how she was going to do it. She said, that afternoon, we were supposed to go somewhere together in the car. She said, so I took that loaded revolver out to the car and hid it up underneath the passenger seat. He would be driving, she said. And when they got in the car, she reached under the seat and wrapped her finger around the trigger and held it right by her side. Now, they live in Martinsville, which is a pretty big city. Not as big as Charlottesville, but it's pretty big. And she said, first red light, he's a dead man. She said, I'm going to shoot him right in the car. She said, I figured I'd go to prison, but I just thought it might be worth it. She said, but that night every light was green. (laughs) And by the time they got way out of town, she put the revolver underneath the seat. And she says, well, she really didn't want to kill him. She was mad as fired, but she didn't really want to kill him. She still loved him. So she changed her mind again. She said, I'm not going to kill myself and I'm not going to kill my husband, but I'm going to kill that other woman. Some time passed. She sat down at that table again drinking liquor and looking at that revolver and thinking, who should I kill? I got to kill something. I got to kill somebody. She knocked the bottle over and it began to spill out. And it was a flower arrangement, probably something like this. And in that little flower arrangement had two little candles and a little New Testament Bible. And she said the pages got wet with the alcohol and she dried the pages and paused long enough to read a few verses. I wish she had told us what verses she read. She never did tell us. But it gave her some hope and she went to the television and turned it on a Christian network and John Hagee from San Antonio, Texas was preaching. She watched the rest of the program. There was an advertisement that he was going to be at the Salem Civic Center here in Virginia that very night. She said, I think I got time to get there. She tried to sober up a little bit and took a shower and drove from Martinsville to Salem and went to the Civic Center. And when the altar call was given, she and about 400 people went around the altar and gave their heart to God. She said, now God's given me a ministry. I'm bus driver taking people to the Pensacola Revival. And she said, the bus right in front of us, she said, my husband's driving that bus. <laughs> God put them back together and God gave them a ministry and God gave them a purpose. I thought I would tell you something. You're still worth saving. God's got purpose in your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. There's one more point. I'll be quick about this. I know we've got dinner coming up here. Point number three. On the next slide, please. Still worth saving because of eternity. Now, this is the guy that was hanging on the cross beside of Jesus. Well, there was one on one side and one on the other. But this guy said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said in Luke 23 and 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. We call this guy the thief on the cross. He was a felon. 
Okay, and whatever crimes he committed were worthy of execution. He'd been on death row and it was his day to die. And earlier on in the day, the thief on this side and on that side both cursed Jesus and riled against him. And yet a little while later, one of them had a change of heart and said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, let me just say something. I'm not even sure that qualifies as a good repentant prayer. Had he been in service and come down to the altar and some of us were going to instruct him on how to pray to get saved, we would have never chosen those phrases. We say words like, I'm sorry for my sin, come into my heart, I make you the Lord of my life. These are the kind of phrases that we're accustomed to today. I don't think this guy knew how to pray right. I don't think he was raised in the synagogue. I don't think he was familiar with the law of Moses. I think he just said the best thing he knew to say. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That don't even qualify as a good prayer. Yet Jesus saw his heart and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Time out. Wait a minute, Jesus. Did he even repent right? Well, he got the first word right when he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, I don't even know how to pray. If you'll call him Lord, he'll take care of the rest of your praying. Because he's Lord of lords and he's king of kings. And when you make him Lord of all, he'll be Lord of all. Now, this guy is not worth saving. He's not even going to live hardly another hour. He can't go preaching from city to city like the guy that had been filled with demons. He cannot go back into the city and say, come see a man that told me everything I was like the woman at the well. This guy doesn't have time for that. He's going to die within moments. Why did Jesus save him? If no other reason, Jesus saved him for eternity's sake. And notice that Jesus doesn't just say, today you're going to get to go to paradise. No. Jesus says, today you're going to be with me. Jesus wanted to live forever with this guy. We wouldn't want to be in the same room with him. And Jesus says, I want to live forever. And I want you to live with me forever. This is the heart of God And I'm glad that Jesus begins this statement by saying, assuredly, now that's an adverb. They told me in grammar class years ago that adverbs modify verbs. Why is Jesus saying assuredly? He could have said, put every doubt out of your mind. I think he said that because the guy probably did have some doubts in his mind. Lord, can you save somebody like me? I mean, I've been a a criminal all my life. I've I've never served God. I don't know anything about religion. Are you really going to save somebody like me? Assuredly. This is the heart of God. He thinks you're still worth saving. Today you'll be with me in paradise. A final true story I'm going to show you. Take it to the next slide. You'll see a picture of a guy by the name of Ian McCormick. That's his wife there. Ian's story is that he was raised by a godly mother. But when he got a little bit older, he left home, got away from church, got away from God, went to Australia. 
His favorite pastime was night diving. Now, I don't know much about diving, but according to his story, he and his buddies were night divers. He said, this is funny, I think, they would dive at night with flashlights to watch fish sleep. (laughs) Is that a hobby? I didn't know that was a hobby. They would dive at night with flashlights and watch fish sleep. However, while he was under the water, he got stung by a box jellyfish, which is one of the most poisonous animals on the planet. Sometimes you only live two or three minutes. It's like a high-voltage electrocution. He knew what had happened. He started swimming back to the boat. He got stung a second time by a box jellyfish. Just as he got to the boat and is climbing in the boat, he got stung a third time. One of his buddies was still in the boat. He saw his body. He knew what would happen. He had these long burn marks all over his body. They knew he was going to die. Now, this is the kind of buddies he had. They pulled him up in the boat, took him over to the shore, rolled him out on the sand, left him there, and went back night diving. He laid there thinking, I'm going to die right here on the beach. A couple walked by, a man and woman walked by, and he just tried to get their attention, like, help me get to a hospital. I am dying. They just thought he was drunk or high on something. They just, they'd laughed it off and walked right by him. He got up enough strength to roll over on his hands and knees and crawl to the closest building there. I'm trying to remember if it was a restaurant or a motel. I can't remember, but he tells them, you know, call rescue. I'm dying. Again, they just thought he was high or doped up on something. They, they just passed it off. Finally, somebody had enough compassion to call rescue. Now, we would say 911, whatever they have in Australia. And he calls rescue. They put him in put an ambulance, and they are they're taking him to the, to the hospital. And he dies in the back of the ambulance. He says his soul came out of his body, and he started going through a dark tunnel, down, down, down. He got closer and closer to the flames of hell. He said he could see the fire. He could hear people yelling and screaming and the doctors revived him in the back of the ambulance and he's gasping, don't don't let me die. He said, I am that close to hell. Don't let me die. He died a second time and he went right back down that dark tunnel again. They revived him a second time. Now he's thinking anything he can remember about God, any verse from the Bible, any prayer, the only thing he can come up with is the Lord's Prayer. That's the only thing he can remember from his childhood days in church. The Lord's Prayer. And he starts praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. He gets down to the part of the prayer that says these words, forgive us our trespasses as we do what? As we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And he's thinking, who do I need to forgive? And the Lord says, forgive your buddy that left you laying on the beach. And forgive the couple that walked past you on the beach. And forgive the people at the restaurant that wouldn't call rescue. And one by one, he starts forgiving the people. And he died a third time. His soul came out of his body. And this time, instead of going down a dark tunnel, he goes up through a tunnel of light. He comes out on the other end. There's heaven. He says he saw Jesus. He got saved just that quick. And Jesus says, it's not your day to die. You're going to go back to the earth and you're going to tell your story. 
And I thought it was beautiful what Jesus told him. He says, besides, if you died today, your mother would never know you got saved. I wonder how many times somebody dies and we say, oh, I know he went to hell. I know she went to hell. You don't know. You don't know. Don't say that. You don't know. This man in a dying breath prayed the Lord's Prayer. Why would God save somebody like that? Because he believes you are still worth saving. That's why. He loves you so much that you are still worth saving. Just take it to the final slide. Everyone stand with me. Musicians, if you would please come take your places. Bow your head for a moment of prayer. Lord, we are amazed at your love. We are amazed at your grace. How you would love us that much that you think we're still worth saving when we feel so worthless. We feel so unclean, so unholy. And yet you still love us and want to save us. Lord, I extend my hand over the congregation today knowing that there are men and women and boys and girls that are in this place today that have had these same kind of feelings. God doesn't love me or God can't save me or I've sinned too many times or I've rejected God too many times. Maybe you even feel somehow that your fate is sealed and you can never be saved. No, that is a lie from the devil. Don't you believe that? God loves you. And he knows that you are still worth saving. You say, well, if God would, you know, just, you know, somehow prove himself to me. He already proved himself when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. You say, yeah, yeah, I know. That was 2,000 years ago. I need God to prove himself today. He is proving himself today. He put a gospel preacher in front of you today to tell you one more time that he still loves you. What more proof do you need? He loves you. He loves you even more than you think he does. Now, this is a very reverent moment. If you can possibly keep your eyes closed and your head bowed, I would greatly appreciate it. Because I'm going to ask for a raise of hands. Now, there's a couple ways we can do this, but this morning, let's just do it like this. It's a couple of different ways, but today, let's just do it like this. I'm going to ask if you want to be saved, you will raise your hand. And then I'm going to pray a prayer for you. This part of salvation is what we call an acknowledgement of our sin. An acknowledgement, I need to be saved. So no one's looking around at me. And I'm just going to ask a simple question. I'm not going to put any pressure on you. But the Holy Spirit is touching your heart. And you say, yes, preacher. If that sermon was for nobody else, I feel like that was for me today. I... I need my sins forgiven. I need to be saved. I need to be born again. Raise your hand very quickly. 
Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. Thank you so much. You can put your hands back down. Is there another you want to respond today? Father, I thank you for those who come to that acknowledgement. I need my sins forgiven. Lord, I believe that is step one. I pray they also be willing to take step two. Praying a prayer, a repentant prayer, a belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I am amazed that you would save the woman at the well, that you would save a man that had been full of demons, that you would save a thief on the cross moments before he died. And yet I thank you that your mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. So I pray right now, thanking you for those that raised their hands, and I pray that they would be willing to take the next step in the salvation process. In Jesus' name I pray. Now open your eyes and look at me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Again, there's a couple of different ways we can do this, but today, this is the way we're going to do it. I want to lead you in a prayer. Just because you repeat my prayer doesn't mean you get saved. You can read every prayer in a prayer book and not get saved. But I'll tell you how you can be saved. The Bible said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that with the mouth confession is made and with the heart we believe. It takes both a confession of the mouth and a belief of the heart. Now, I can help you with one of those. I can help you with a confession of the mouth. I cannot help you with a belief in the heart. Now, this is not an either or. I'm going to confess with the mouth, but I'm not believing in my heart. You won't be saved. You say, well, I believe in my heart, but I'm not praying that prayer. You won't be saved. It takes a confession of the mouth coupled with a belief in the heart. Now, to make it easy on you, the whole church is going to pray the prayer. And those of you that raised your hand, you definitely pray this prayer, but with all of your heart. Are you ready, church? Let's just repeat the prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus... I believe you're the Son of God. And you left heaven and came to earth. And died on the cross to save me. And I confess I have sinned. I am sorry. I am guilty. Please forgive me. I make you the Lord of my life. Wash away all of my sins. Right here. Right now. In Jesus' name, clap your hands and celebrate the goodness of God. Whoa, hallelujah. God, we give glory and praise and honor unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. Now, that's the only thing required for salvation. But now I'm going to include one last thing. I just want to know... If anyone who was actually saved today is happy enough and thankful enough to leave their seat and come stand beside of me as an open public testimony that you prayed the prayer and God saved you today. Anybody here that would be willing to do that, come out of your seat right now. I want to be the first one to give you a hug and shake your hand and welcome you into the kingdom of God. Come on if you got saved today and let me greet you right now. Come on, come on, come on. 
several that raised their hand. I want to greet you right now. Be bold. Step out. You say, wait a minute. I don't, I don't want to do that. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But if you confess me publicly before people, I will confess you publicly before God. Come on, I want to greet you. You were saved today. Well, church, let's still clap our hands and thank God for those that prayed the prayer. God, we honor you and we bless you. Woo, hallelujah. Praise our God. Pastor, come stand by my side if you would, please. Perhaps tonight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we will have prayer for the sick. We'll be praying for those that want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We'll have special prayer lines and prayer opportunities. But I want to thank you for having an open heart and an open mind to hear the word of the Lord today. It is a pleasure to preach the word of the Lord unto you. May God bless you.